Welcome to Harper Audio Presents. This is Caitlin Gehring with Harper Audio. I recently spoke with Veronica Roth, author of Four, a Divergent Collection, on sale July 8, 2014. Veronica Roth is the number one New York Times bestselling author of Divergent, Insurgent, Allegiant, and several stories written in the world of Divergent. Now a full-time writer, Miss Roth and her husband live near Chicago, and I got to talk to her while she was in New York City for the premiere of the Divergent movie. Her upcoming audiobook, Four, A Divergent Collection, is a companion volume that includes four pre-divergent stories, plus three additional scenes from Divergent, all told from Tobias's point of view. Before we start, let's listen to a short clip from the first story, The Transfer. I emerge from the simulation with a yell. My lip stings, and when I take my hand away from it, there is blood on my fingertips. I must have bitten it during the test. The dauntless woman administering my aptitude test, Tori, she said her name was, gives me a strange look as she pulls her black hair back and ties it in a knot. Her arms are marked up and down with ink, flames and rays of light and hawk wings. When you were in the simulation, were you aware that it wasn't real? Tori says to me as she turns off the machine. So pretty much everybody at this point has now read, listen, or seen Divergent, which means, of course, they've fallen in love with four, which is perfect because <laughs> we're about to get a story collection all from his point of view. Um, so can you give us a quick spoiler-free um, summary of what's in four Divergent collection? Well, basically, it's a set of four stories, <laughs> aptly, um, that are set chronologically before the events of Divergent. So it's kind of Four's backstory um, from the moment that he chooses to um, to later on. And the, the fourth story, the traitor, overlaps with Divergent when he meets Triss. You've mentioned in past interviews that you had a little trouble writing Allegiant um, just getting into Four's point of view, because you've always written from Triss's point of view. Can you tell us about what you did to kind of get into his head and get to the point where you were writing from his first-person uh, perspective? Well, it was tricky because, you know, I'm just so used to writing in a particular way um, and have been practicing very hard at it for several years. But I had to isolate, you know, what makes him him. And he has some similarities with Triss, so I think it's maybe fitting that his voice is similar to hers. Um, I think he's as direct as she is in a lot of ways. But um, so I had like a list of descriptors for what his voice would sound like. You know, it's always uh, has to be a little more poetic and descriptive. He also doesn't withhold from the reader the way that Tris does. She'll say something and then she won't explain it. Um, and he always explains everything. It's a little more stream of stream of consciousness like. Um, it's weird because he's sort of a closed person, but he has a very open voice. Um, so those are the things I, I thought about while I was writing, but still had to keep working on it because, man, it's, it's hard to switch yeah. now. Mm-hmm. What, what was the point where you kind of finally felt it click with his voice, like, in your head? I think um, when I was writing Allegiant, I, I would encounter these moments when I knew that he would interpret a situation differently from Triss. So um, those were really the opportunities I had to, um, to show, you know, the, or to find the differences in the voice. So one of the biggest moments for me is when they're 
leaving the city in Allegiant, and Triss is, like, really sad to be leaving, and he's not so sad, but he's also describing what they're passing each new part of the landscape that he hasn't seen before, and his words are, you know, like, a little poetic, and um, the passages are a little longer than Triss's descriptive passages, and I think that was the moment when I was, uh, I don't know, I think I felt like I, I was confident in letting him be letting his voice be more beautiful than hers, um, to the, you know, to the best of my abilities anyway, uh, even though he's a very masculine figure, you know, traditionally speaking. Um, so letting him have a, a more stereotypically feminine voice and being okay with that and thinking that, that there's something really wonderful about that, um, that was kind of the first, the good click moment. Nice. And so, um, how was it to be writing again from his voice, but this time, like, in, in Allegiant, you were you got to switch back and forth with Triss, but now Triss is essentially not there at all. Was that different, or did you feel more comfortable kind of going directly from his point of view? Yeah, it's a little easier because um, you don't have to, like, swap every, you know, because I, I could write, like, ten pages in a day, and five of them would be from hers, and five would be from his, and it would just be like, okay, now I have to get in a totally different mindset, um, and I have to try to see through a totally different set of eyes but with the short stories it was just like um always him all the time so it was easier to get into once I got there but that took some work again. One of the things that was very apparent in Allegiant was that Four's arc was all about healing and reconciliation and now in the short stories we're coming back and seeing him before all that and we're seeing kind of what was driving him throughout the series. Is this something you always had in mind like this backstory of Tobias, or was this something you were kind of discovering as you were writing these short stories? Well, I when I wrote the rough draft of Divergent, which was like the rough, rough draft, the proto-draft, as I call it, it was four years before I wrote, actually ended up writing it from Triss's perspective. I wrote it from Tobias's perspective first. So um, it didn't work for me because he wasn't as compelling a narrator for that particular story at that particular time. Again, like, I don't know, stereotypically speaking, we kind of expect a man to leave a repressive environment and go do something brave and bold and reckless, but we don't expect like a, a tiny, mild-mannered young woman to do it, so that was why Triss was more, um, was better as a narrator for me, or the only narrator that would, could really work for the story, but that means that I always had his backstory in mind, um, and when he, he kind of like just appeared in Divergent and I felt like I already knew him because I'd already written some things from his perspective, and I wanted him to be a character in the series. I didn't really know how big a character he would be until they had great chemistry on the page, <laughs> which is a weird thing to describe, but it's just like he was there, and she was the only initiate kind of brave enough to challenge him in small ways, and so suddenly it was like, okay, these two are, like, meant for each other. <laughs> um, so I kind of always knew his, yeah, what he had been through, and... Um, so it was, I think it was like an inevitability that I was going to write the backstory eventually. But the challenge was, he does the same things that Triss does. You know, he grows up in abnegation, he chooses Dauntless, uh, one of his friends, something bad happens to one of his friends in the course of initiation, like similar things happen to them, like he realizes he's di he's divergent, you know, all these things, not spoilers because we know that they happen. Yeah. Um, so I, the challenge was making it a different story because he's a different person. Um, even though, you know, similar touchstones in the narrative happen. I really liked 
over the whole arc, like um, whole series, was just like kind of how you got to know more and more about Tobias. But you always, even when he was unsure about himself in Allegiant, like you still knew him from this position of strength. Mm-hmm. And I feel like this is the first chance that we're kind of getting to know what it took for him to get there. Right. Yeah. And Watching him find it is yeah. interesting. And so, I mean, I'm just kind of curious. If, I mean, as you said, you kind of always knew these details. Mm-hmm. I'm enjoying finally learning them out myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, kind of letting him be weak and kind of, I don't know, he's sort of like kind of a whiner in the beginning. <laughs> not not about his, his dad. I mean about because... Yeah. Um, but about, like, initiation, like, certain things. And one of the most interesting things was writing a character who doesn't believe that he's strong while he's, like... Uh, I think one of the characters remarks, like, in, in the first or second story, like, you're the f- you're top in the initiate class. Like, you're kicking everyone's butt. And he's like, oh, oh, right. Because he's just thinking about it as, like, fighting to survive. Um, and so, I don't know, his perspective on initiation was interesting, too, because his perspective on violence is much more informed. Than, than Triss's. So um, he kind of knows from the, the beginning that there's something wrong with Donalus, that they engage in such, like, senseless violence. Um, so, I don't know. It's, it's a much more serious story in a lot of ways. <laughs> so then also moments of levity became important, but as always, the Uriah-Zeke brother <laughs> dynamic is helpful for that. Oh, yeah. They're great. <laughs> <laughs> um... So, in kind of in a similar vein of reconciliation that kind of uh, went on in Allegiant, just because I don't want to give too much away about four right now, right? Because people haven't read it right. or listened to it yet. <laughs> yeah. But so going back to the two characters and the relationship, we all love Triss and Tobias um, in Allegiant specifically, but throughout the book, you have these beautiful, beautiful moments, um, and it kind of just all coalesced in this one scene, or at least for me, uh, where you wrote about Tris talking about balancing forgiveness with evaluating whether they're good together and good for each other. Mm-hmm. And in a genre that's so full with like these instant attractions and the kind of the soulmate feeling or love triangles, what kind of drove you to write their relationship as you did, both on Allegiant and throughout this uh, series? Well, I didn't want there to be instant attraction, mostly because Triss is not supposed to be, like, traditionally beautiful. Um, And he kind of acknowledges that. So I didn't want him to see her and be into her immediately, because she's small and younger, and, you know, she's a little bit plain. And he, I wanted, I don't know, I don't know if everyone has this experience, but I've had, I've met people throughout my life who, when I first met them, didn't think they were that good looking, you know, but then when you get to know them and you see this kind of inner strength and power and beauty inside of them, then they become more physically attractive to you. Um, And that happens to me frequently. And I thought that that would be an interesting relationship dynamic for them. So he gets to know her um, and he sees this kind of like power inside of her that she is learning to develop and that she finds in Dauntless. And that's where their attraction starts when he sees who she really is. Um, and he sees that kind of come out of her. So then, um, I don't know. I mean, it's hard to sustain tension between two characters over a series of (laughs) three books, but my challenge for myself was not to just break them up and put them back together or introduce another, um, you know, complicating element, like another person or, you know, some kind of, uh, 
like act act, act of God, you know, that separates them. I wanted them to um, have conflict because of their like different goals or different beliefs about the world, and um, and so that's where I wanted to, it to come from in subsequent in the subsequent books. And I think in Insurgent that happens because she's just kind of going off the rails, and it's hard to it's hard to be in a relationship with someone who's experiencing deep grief and guilt. And then in the third one, um, it's sort of reversed. He's the one going through something really intense, and she's the one who was forced to um, cope with being there for him. It was just a good challenge for me as a writer, and also I think that's the way um, relationships work. Like, they just don't work and have, like, exploding chemistry and, <laughs> like, fantastic uh, support and um, constant, like, respect. Like, people wound each other, um, and they have to reconcile repeatedly. <laughs> so uh, I think reflecting that reality on the page was important to me. One of the things I appreciated as a listener and a reader was that you acknowledged that. And I guess that was a very conscious effort is what I'm hearing. Right. Because you can't, I mean, I think a lot of times people break up because they find out the other person isn't perfect, which always like amuses me a little because it's like, well, you're going to break up with everyone then because that's, people just aren't perfect. But you have to figure out if the other per- person's imperfections are okay with you and if they're encouraging you to be a better person just by being with you. So... Um, Tristan, Tobias, I mean, so much is going wrong in their world. I wanted their their relationship to be, I mean, not without difficulty, but I wanted it to be, like, the healthiest thing that they both had. So, um, you know, showing how they grow and change each other was, was a priority. Yeah. Nice. Did you draw inspiration on your own relationships in your life at all from this? Like, just ways you've interacted with people in the past? I think it's kind of inevitable. I mean, um, you know, I'm, I won't get too personal, but, like, I've been in good relationships. I've been in bad relationships. I feel like I've learned a lot from the relationships I've had, very few relationships because I'm pretty young. Certainly the one I'm in now is one of, like, deep respect. So um, that was certainly an inspiration. But, you know, also it just comes from the people that they are, Tristan for. So it's very personal to them, too. In addition to writing very complex relationships, you've created very complex characters that really show listeners that they can be multiple things at once. What books growing up really inspired and shaped you, and why, and how? Oh, man. Uh, there, there were a lot of books. It's hard to sort through. Um, well, I, I grew up with Harry Potter. You know, I was like 11 when the first one came to the States, I think, and then I followed them throughout. So that's an obvious, like, point of inspiration. I mean, there are houses in Harry Potter, so um, the kind of, like, fascination with categories sort of came from there. And also just, like, it's a magical, it's a magical place. You want to disappear into it, even though it's not perfect. Um, so. You really wanted your owl to come yeah. with a letter. Really wanted your owl. McGiver by Lois Lowry was also a big... I mean, that was my first introduction to dystopian fiction. And, um, God, it's so much more disturbing when you read it as an adult, like when Jonas goes to his parents and they say... He says, do you love me? And they say, that question is illogical. (laughs) And it's like, oh, my God, that's the worst. The biggest sign that the society he's living in is actually a dystopia, you know, that his parents can't even say that they love him. It's intense. Um... Sorry, I'm supposed to be talking about how these books are influencing yeah. me, right? Um, I read a lot of sci-fi. 
Uh, I read Dune by Frank Herbert. I read Ender's Game by Orson Scott Card. Um, and a lot of the, the books associated with that, which just keep getting weirder and weirder. <laughs> Did and you go down the uh, Ender's Game, uh, or the one that followed Ender's, or the one that followed Bean? I just did, I think there were only a couple that I read. So I read uh, Ender's Shadow, which is, you know, Bean, who I, uh, Bean, okay. And then I also read, I think it was Xenocide or something, where he, like, encounters the alien creatures that are, that look like pigs. Uh, I don't even remember this very well. I really love the first one, especially, though. Uh, what else? Hmm. Oh, A Wrinkle in Time, Madeline Langle. Yeah, I love that. And I read all of those associated books, too, like Many Waters and, um, gosh, the the really weird one when they start talking about, like, mitochondria. <laughs> um, oh, uh, Swiftly Tilting Planet? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. God, I love that. Um, those books are so, like, wonderfully complicated. Uh, you can keep rereading those. I mean, I actually need to go on a reread for that series because yeah. the Austin family that spawns out of it is just very... I know, and I feel like I didn't quite understand it when I was at the age that I was supposed to be reading it, you know? <laughs> um, I feel like I'd understand a lot more now. But those were, that's, I'm going to stop there <laughs> no, <laughs> with I my mean, list. That's a very diverse list. Were there messages as a child that you really took away from any of those, or was it just kind of comforting friends in the, in the midst of the pages? Yeah, I don't know if I... Um, I'm, like, really wary of messages in books, mm-hmm. um, sending them, <laughs> taking them in. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I do think that they can provoke... Like, what what I want from a book is that it makes me ask myself questions and come up with my own kind of answers to those questions. So I think books inevitably do that, even when they are sending a message, because you, you're thinking, you know, do I agree with this? Is this, like, something that um, that I should agree with, maybe? Or, you know... Uh, so the one that comes to mind, I guess, is at the end of A Wrinkle in Time, when Meg realizes that her love for her brother is her, like, unique gift. Um, and that's something that I see a lot in Triss, like, her whole quest is to, um, I mean, obviously in Allegiant, her love for her brother becomes the central, um, concern at the end. But also throughout the series, it's like, Tris abandoning these other ways of being and these other ways of being virtuous or ethical um, and embraces love as her, like, guiding force instead of, you know, like, selflessness or bravery. Um, Because I think relying on those virtues is empty without without love, I guess, which sounds kind of cheesy. but, uh, But I do think that idea doesn't, like, come from A Wrinkle in Time, but it's definitely one of the books that introduced me to that idea. Um, when Meg's just abandoning all other, like, all other things and just, like, clings to that, her love for Charles Wallace. So, you've listened to the Divergent um, trilogy in audio. hmm Do you listen to any other audiobooks as well, or...? I have, yeah. I listened to, well, um, Bossy Pants by, read by Tina Fey was important. I think it was important to listen to in audio, yeah. Um, and I also have listened to uh, books that are harder for me to get through on the page, or when I'm, like, cleaning the house, I'll listen to it. Like, I remember listening to Jane Eyre um, and uh, Macbeth, I think I've listened to. Things, like, Shakespeare, I think, is important because, like, needs to be read out loud. But I haven't, let me think if there are any, like... 
I have listened to several. I just don't remember. Like some YA books I've listened to in audio. Trying to separate your memory of an audiobook from your memory of a physical book is a little strange because it's still like absorbing the story. So I remember the stories, but I don't remember how I took them in, I guess. No, I think that's fair. Um, if you could go back and give yourself advice before the first book came out, so before everyone realizes how big this is going to be, what would that piece of advice be? Oh, I don't know. There's probably a lot. I guess it would be plan ahead because um, I did write an outline for, you know, the plot events of the whole series before, after the rough draft of Divergent, but before it sold. Um, so I knew where it was going, but I didn't think about, like, world-building consistency problems. <laughs> so um, I got myself into quite a few sticky situations that way. And so that's really it. I mean, that's kind of dumb. It's like a craft thing, but... You know, everything that happened, I just uh, tried to take it one day at a time. So as far as, like, the success of the series goes, like, I don't know what else I... If I could have warned myself about it, what I would have said exactly, except for um, try not to pay too much attention um, and pay attention to the craft, which I guess is why that would be my... <laughs> that would be my advice to myself is plan your world building better. And then last question. Is there one question that you never get asked but you really wish you were? And if, what is it, and what's the answer? Oh, gosh. That's tough. I don't even know. People always ask what faction I'd want to be in, and I wish they would ask what faction I would absolutely not want to be in. All right, which faction would you absolutely not like to be in? Candor. (laughs) (laughs) Not because I'm a liar, but because hearing that kind of harsh truth at all times, like even when it's totally uninvited... Uh, would be terrible. And also, their initiation is, I think, like, the most excruciating. Like, Dauntless is the most physically uh, dangerous and probably painful, but Candor is just, like, putting you under truth serum and exposing your secrets to everyone all the time until there's nothing left. And it's like, people need secrets, and people need boundaries, and people need <laughs> privacy, so Candor would be a terrible faction to be part of. Oh, that that would be so frightening. I, Yeah, I kind of forgot about the Candor yeah. uh, initiation. I don't think I would last there. No. I'm also not sure if I would last in... In any of them, maybe? Yeah, probably not. No, I would die in Dauntless, and I would go crazy in Abnegation. Well, anything else you want to add about the four Divergent story, life, or the series? Um, I don't think so. Nice. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Thank you. You've been listening to Harper Audio Presents, a podcast from HarperCollins Publishers. Available on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Stitcher. Today we spoke with Veronica Roth, author of Four, a Divergent Collection, on sale July 8th, and listened to an excerpt from the audiobook narrated by Aaron Stanford. We hope you will join us again. Thank you for listening.